Hey guys, glad you're uh, joining us this week. For some of you, maybe it's your first time joining us online. I'm Dan, one of the pastors here, and I love the fact that you decided to kind of dial in today. Hopefully you'll dial in week after week. Uh, if you don't have a church home, love for you to come, and uh, we'd love a chance to meet you here at Cleveland Maslin Road, Norton Campus, uh, Grace Church. We have an 8 o'clock, 9.30, 11 o'clock, 5.30 service. We'd love to meet you. Love for you to make Grace Church your church home. Uh, there's a whole bunch of you that you're listening all online all the time. And so uh, glad to see you again. And um, grab a Bible, go to Philippians 4, because we're talking about how in the world we can experience calm in an anxious world. Paul said this in a letter that he wrote. He said, I don't want you to be anxious about anything. We said, well, that's fascinating because we live in a world where people are anxious about everything, a country where we lead the way in anxiety, stress, and worry. In fact, new studies out, NBC News says that a panel of experts say that doctors, primary care doctors, need to probably begin screening all patients for anxiety. Uh, Reuters reported that a panel of experts said that the U.S. should start screening children as young as eight years old for anxiety. Anxiety is everywhere, right? Uh, I'm hearing from a lot of you, a lot of people that are coming here on Sundays, and we struggle with anxiety about a lot of things. Uh, you do, and I have, and so we're walking this journey together, and so we're trying to find calm and what we're saying is that in this particular passage of the Bible, there's a, uh, an acronym we're filling out, CALM. That's not original with me. I read a book by Max Lucado, and uh, I took some liberty to change some of the wording, but uh, I think it works because we're saying we're going to celebrate the God who is present. He's bigger than we thought, and so he's in ultimate control. We're going to resign as the general managers of the universe, but he's nearer than we imagined. Um, he is intimately uh, someone who cares about you and he cares about me. And so he's in the boat. Whatever storm you're in, he's in the boat with you right now. Um, but he's a good God. He's still at the canvas. He's the master and he's making a masterpiece out of what might feel like the mess of your life right now. And he's a holy God. He's holy, holy, holy. But he is and has and will pursue with relentless grace. It's amazing grace. And so we said he is a God that we're going to celebrate, rejoice in the Lord always, but then we're going to ask that God for help. We're going to pray and petition and make our requests known, our special requests known to God, that we're going to practice his presence. We're going to quit carrying this anxiety. We're going to start casting it on the God who cares for us. Um, that as we petition, we're going to be real about how we feel. He already knows, <laughs> right? And then we said this, that we're going to pray and we're going to be specific until he reveals to us what we really need. That's really how this happens. Here's where we want to go today. Let's just read this together. So if you have your Bible, just read it with me. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord's near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Said finally, brothers and sisters, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put that into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Now, let's pray before we dig in. Can we do that together? Because, Father, we love you and we trust you. 
We praise you for who you are. You're good and you're faithful. You're big and you're near. You're holy and you're full of grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place on the cross for our sin. We believe he was buried and rose again. Thank you for all you have done for us. We thank you in advance for all you promise and will accomplish in us and for us and even through us. And so today, we stand in the strength of your presence and in our present situation, whether that's good or bad. Help us to hear from you this day, I pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We live in a world, a world of words. Words have power. You ever think about that? Uh, words are everywhere. Your life is full of words. Some of you love novels. A 500-page novel can capture your imagination. Uh, right now you're listening to a sermon, a 40-minute-ish uh, sermon that we hope challenges your heart. A lot of you enjoy TED Talks and podcasts, 15 minutes that will inspire new ideas and thought patterns. And then there's 140 uh, character tweets that can literally set off a political firestorm. Words have power, but what about the power of two words? doesn't take many words to have power. What about the power of two words? You ever think about that? Words like this, you're hired, can change everything. I quit. You're fired. <laughs> and how about this? Pull over. <laughs> changes everything. I'm sorry. Too bad. <laughs> it changes everything. Uh, how about this? She's cute. Just friends. <laughs> Everything changes, right? Uh, how about these two words, marry me? I do. I'm pregnant. Two words change everything. It's triplets. <laughs> We're broke. <laughs> right? Two words change everything. Uh, Paul's going to introduce, introduce us to two words that have the power to change everything. Here they are. I want to show them to you. He says, don't be anxious about anything. We've been talking about that every week. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, we talked about that last week, present your request to God, but these two words are smack dab in the middle. We said we'd talk about it this week, and that's with thanksgiving. Let's continue to fill this out. The L in calm is live with gratitude. That one of the antidotes to our perpetual anxiety is to live with a persistent gratitude. Studies have shown that the emotion of gratitude has a variety of positive effects. Grateful people tend to be more empathetic and forgiving. People who keep gratitude journals, maybe you do that, are more likely to have a positive outlook on life. Studies show that grateful individuals demonstrate less envy, materialism, self-centeredness, that gratefulness and gratitude improve self-esteem and enhances other relationships, the quality of your sleep, longevity of life, uh, Max Lucado in his book says this, if gratitude came in a pill form, it would be deemed a miracle cure. Worry refuses to share its space with gratitude. Paul says this with thanksgiving. Remember, Paul, where he's writing this from is in prison. That he's waging war on worry from a jail cell. And in prison, he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, even the one he was in, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Sounds like other places. Uh, Paul doesn't just say this in Philippians. He says in 1 Thessalonians, Rejoice always. Sounds like what he said. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, this is a gritty gratitude that is not dependent on circumstances, but is present in all circumstances. He's not, being, he's not saying be thankful for all circumstances. He's saying be thankful in all circumstances. It's different. 
And this is so important because Paul in other places tells us that ingratitude is a sign of rebellion. 2 Timothy 3, he says, There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They'll boast, they'll be proud, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love. And he goes on and on and on, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now, Tony Evans, a pastor, very well-known pastor, says this, ingratitude is part of the doctrine of the demons. Man, that is a strong statement. Uh, so ingratitude is a sign of rebellion. Ingratitude is a sign of rejection of God. Romans 1 is all about that. He says they knew God, but they, they didn't acknowledge him or glorify him as God, nor gave thanks to him. Their thinking was futile. They were foolish in their hearts. They claimed they were wise, but they were really fools. So they exchanged the glory of God for images they made, idols. It's into that, Paul's saying ingratitude is a sign of rebellion, it's a sign of rejection of God. What Paul says is that to practice the presence of God and pursue the God of peace, I want you to do it with thanksgiving in every situation, in all circumstances. He's saying live with a gritty and grounded gratitude. He's saying live with persistent and consistent gratitude. What does ingratitude look like? Have you ever been around someone who is ungrateful? Uh, don't look at them if you're sitting with them, right? Have you ever been around somebody that's ungrateful, that they just have a, a heart of ingratitude? Or maybe you are. I don't know. That kind of person is somebody who's never satisfied. You ever been around somebody like that? Like they always need more, always want more. They're always comparing. They don't have as much as the other person, so they need more. Uh, Andy Stanley, in one of his books, I think he borrowed from C.S. Lewis when he said this, he talks about the land of Ur. Uh, we tend to play the comparison game. We travel to the land of Ur. You ever heard of the land of Ur? Uh, we want to be smarter, prettier, richer, stronger, happier. But the danger of camping out in the land of Ur is it can lead us to the island of Est, where we want to be the smart Est, pretty Est, rich Est, strong Est, most retweeted Est. I don't know if that's a word. And neither of these lands can ever bring us happiness. Uh, people who are ungrateful are never satisfied. They're always comparing. They're, they're, they're constantly in this state of discontent. And here's what happens is that state of discontent fuels envy. Uh, trust me, this can be so difficult, just period. But in our world of social media, it, I think it's becoming even exponentially more difficult Here's why. Because you look at your Facebook or your Instagram and you watch everybody else's highlight reel of a life. Uh, you get on your Facebook or Instagram and you see she lost 20 pounds in three days. Uh, he had the most incredible wad workout of the day ever. Now he has six-pack abs. Uh, you see their incredible vacation to the Caribbean. Uh, you see their kids that are eating the perfect organic preschool snack. Uh, you look at their kids neatly dressed in the outfits that she made, eating vegetables from the garden that they grew, uh, sitting around a table that they made from timber on their land. And you're like, ah, right? It, it creates this discontent. And what happens is you get on this witch's wheel or this merry-go-round of discontent that feeds envy, and that envy feeds discontent. And what happens is they swirl, and worry and anxiety begin to grow. The book of Proverbs says a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy, but envy rots the bones. And, and here's the deal. We can tend to minimize envy, which is part of discontent. 
but the Bible never minimizes envy. We can minimize it almost like the green-eyed monster envy, right? It's like, ah, oh, we all struggle with envy. I'm jealous of, right? The Bible never, ever makes light of it, but it places envy right alongside of the other big hitters, so to speak. That when it lists envy, it's listed with wickedness and depravity and murder and strife and deceit and hypocrisy and gossip. The church has traditionally included envy in its list of seven deadly sins. We can get on this merry-go-round and it can be hard to find its way off. Uh, one author and pastor gave a definition of envy that I love. You ought to write this down, like stop, let's get a picture, whatever. Envy is resenting God's goodness in someone else's life. You ever do that? Like, it's obvious that God's blessing, there's good things going on, and you just resent it, and you ignore God's goodness in your own. Like, it's fascinating. And do you remember what Satan's first temptation was of Eve? He caused her to doubt what? What, what was, you go back and read it. We're gonna actually do a series Coming up after this one, uh, the truth about lies. Uh, he got her to doubt God's goodness. Like that was the very first temptation. There's nothing new under the sun, which makes even more interesting what Paul says later in Philippians 4. He says, I have learned, keywords circle that, to be content. Whatever the circumstances, be thankful in all circumstances, I've learned to be content. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned secret, only time it's used in the New Testament, of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Guys, listen to me. Living with gratitude is learning the secret of being content. Living with gratitude is learning the secret of being content. So what's the secret? Well, I love in his book, Lucado tells a story about a friend of his, and I'll just read it to you. He says, my friend Jury has taught me the value of gratitude. He is 78 years old. He regularly shoots his age on the golf course. Lucado says, if I ever do the same, I'll need to live to be 100 years old. His dear wife, though, Ginger, battles Parkinson's. What should have been the wonderful season of retirement has been marred by multiple hospital stays, medication, and struggles. Many days she can't keep her balance. Jury has to be at her side, yet he never complains. He always has a smile and a joke, and he relentlessly beats me at golf, he says. Lucado says this, I asked Jury one day his secret. He said, every morning, Ginger and I, my wife, sit together and sing a hymn, a song. I ask her what she wants to sing, and she always says, count your blessings. So we sing it, and we count our blessings. Some of you are like, what in the world is that song? It's an old, old church song that says this. The chorus says, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Here's the secret. Here's where it begins. Living with gratitude, the secret of living with gratitude is learning contentment. And that means we need to begin by counting our blessings you're taking notes, I would write it down. Count your blessings. Count your blessings. I'm going to count my blessings. The secret is to start thanking God for what he's done. And so we need to begin to count them one by one. Let me tell you something. I have uh, two grandkids. I don't know, uh, some of you, that may be new news. Uh, and they are the most awesome, right? Uh, I love my grandkids. They're the nicest, the cutest, the smartest, the most wonderfulest. Grandparents are allowed on the island of Est, right? <laughs> 
Oh, my kids and my grandkids, I absolutely love them. And uh, uh, my oldest grandchild is Corbin, and he's three going on four. And uh, uh, he has a sister. She's two going on whatever age she wants to be going on. <laughs> but Corbin, uh, he's growing up so fast, and uh, he's at that stage where, you know, he's, he's counting, and he's, he likes to count. We count everything. Like, he counts all the time. He just counts all the time. Like, he'll count the guys that he sees uh, over here working on the road. He'll count the cows. He'll count the—he just counts. One, two, three. He just counts all the time. And I thought, man, it teaches me something about counting blessings. I'm going to count my blessings all the time. Like like my, my grandson, Corbin, he just counts all the time. Uh, I think of what it says in Ephesians 5. It says, sing, make music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always giving thanks. It's like, I, I want you to repeatedly give thanks. Repeatedly in the Bible, we are instructed to give thanks repeatedly to perpetually develop the habit of perpetual gratitude. I think what Paul was saying is develop a reflex of praise. You gotta write that down somewhere. A reflex of praise, a reflex of thanks. There's all kinds of ways to do this, guys. Just, just let's get practical for a second. Let's, let's set aside, let's get practical. Like, how do we do that? I think it's developing the habit and the discipline, the routine and the rhythm of this. Like, I would dare you to begin a gratitude journal where every day you just write down the things you're thankful for. Maybe it's three things every morning, three things at night, but however you do it, but begin a gratitude journal. Begin and end your day with gratitude. Uh, I, I would challenge you as parents, some of you have kids at home, to memorialize your gratitude. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, in the Old Testament, God was anxious that they don't forget how he's blessed them. And so he gave all kinds of ways for them to memorialize it. Uh, put this uh, pillar of stones up so that every time you pass it, you can tell your children about what I've done for you. Like I would challenge you as parents to find ways in your house, whether it's a wall of gratitude, a spot of gratitude, a tablecloth of gratitude. Memorialize your gratitude. Be creative with your gratitude. Um, get a jar of gratitude. Add to the jar. Get a uh, wall that you can write on. Uh, express your gratitude. The thing about counting our blessings is I count our blessings all the time. Now, my grandson is interesting because he counts, right? And he, he's gotten really good at counting. But when he would start starting to count, uh, he'd always be interesting to hear count. Like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 19, 29, 70, 16, 5. You know, he would like all like he could only count so high. He's three, right? And so he could only count so high. And he's getting higher and higher. And the older he gets and the more mature he gets, he's going to get higher and higher. I'm glad to report his father, who was my son, uh, can count very high, <laughs> right? And so Corbin, the older he gets, the more mature he gets, the higher he's going to be able to count. And it makes me think something about counting our blessings, that as we grow up in Christ, I'm going to count my blessings all the time and all the way. Uh, here's the point. Start counting your blessings and keep counting them. And as you mature and grow up in Jesus, you keep counting. And you get higher and higher in your counting. Here's what I mean. When you start counting your blessings, you thank God for this day. You thank him for this meal. 
maybe you graduate to thank him for your house and for your job and for your car. Maybe then you graduate and thank him for your family, your friends, your relationships. But then eventually you graduate to realize that it says this in Ephesians chapter 1, praise to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, look at this, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And you realize, well, there's so many blessings beyond just my tangible, physical blessings. I want to thank you, God, for the blessings I have in Christ. I want to thank you, God, that I'm a trophy of your grace. There's nothing I could do to earn my salvation, but that through Christ you make it possible. That I'm a masterpiece in your hands, that I'm a part of your body, that I'm seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, in a place of victory over Satan, I'm an heir in the family of God. And then here's the deal. You keep counting your blessings. And when you keep counting your blessings, maybe you'll get to the point where you can count as high as Paul. Because Paul learned to count very high. And when you count as high as Paul, then 2 Corinthians 12, you begin to be able to thank God for even your afflictions and your suffering. Romans 5, he says, not only so we glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And he says, hope does not disappoint us. Colossians 1, I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. And I feel up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. You see, here's the deal. You count your blessings, you count them all the time, and you start keep counting. You keep counting until you count up. And you go from thank you for this day to thank you for these things to thank you for these relationships to thank you for these spiritual blessings. And maybe just maybe you keep counting. You can even thank him for that difficult circumstance, that situation, maybe that diagnosis, whatever it might be. And I, I'm not saying you're like, yippee skippy, I'm happy about it. But like, God, I know you're working. And I keep counting. Something about Corbin is he's learned to count very high now, and uh, that's kind of fun. But his sister, uh, she hangs out with him a lot, and she watches everything that he does. And so as he counts, guess what she has begun doing? She's begun what? Counting. Now, I'm convinced she's going to come up with her own number system or something, right? <laughs> I mean, like, but, but, but she starts counting. One, two, three, 14, 19. You know, she's at that stage, right? She's counting. And it tells me something about counting our blessings. I want you to write this down, that I'm going to count my blessings. You know why? Because it's contagious. Um, you ever realize how contagious complaining is? Can I get an amen on that? Uh, just hang out with Browns fans. <laughs> right? Hey, they won uh, against the Steelers this week. Congratulations. But Browns fans can tend to complain about their team. They're like, ah, oh, I've been a Browns fan for years. And rah, 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 rah. Uh, just hang out with people for a little bit of time uh, and you find out contag uh, that complaining can be contagious. In fact, there's even studies where they explain the neuroscience behind the contagion of complaining. It does something to our brain that kind of sets off some things and it becomes a contagious thing in a group. But the same thing is true with counting your blessings. And I think the point is this, count and keep counting out loud all the time, all the way and it becomes contagious. I love what it says here in Ephesians. We have it up there, speaking to one another, each other, in psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart. It's like this gratitude that's overflowing to the Lord. 
always giving thanks to God. This is in a community, the Father for everything. Like in community, thankfulness. In community, giving thanks for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like one of the things that ought to be true about the community of believers is they are a contagious community of gratitude. Counting our blessings to each other, counting our blessings with each other, for each other, about each other, to the Lord becomes our way of reflecting on all that God has done for us with a thankful heart. Be contagious in counting your blessings. It's not just count your blessings, but I think um, I think there's something else that's important for us to realize is that I can count on his promises. I, when I think about counting his blessings, I think about thanking him for all the things he's done. When I think about counting on his promises, I think, I'm thanking him in advance for what he promises he will do. I can count on God who's always been faithful to always be faithful. He does not change. He will always act like God. And the Lord always keeps his promises. Um, there's somewhere over 3,000 promises in the Bible. Not all of them were meant for us. Some of them are conditional. Some of them are for specific people. But there are over 3,000 promises in the Bible that God gives. Uh, I don't have time to go through all the ones that are for us, but I am fascinated in Philippians. I think Paul kind of references a couple of them. Let me show you them. Uh, first, he says this in, ver in verse 3, chapter 1. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. So he's thankful for them. Right? We need to be thankful for each other. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of our partnership together in the gospel from the first day until now. Because I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Uh, here's what he's saying. He's like, I know God promises that what he starts, he's going to finish. The promise is this, the one who did all the work for my salvation is still working on my sanctification. What that means is, he is not done with me. I am not a finished product. Neither are you. Turn to the person next to you and say, neither are you, right? Like, he is conforming me as a follower of Christ to the image of Jesus. And all through the Bible, there's promises that he promises that his Holy Spirit is convicting of sin, encouraging my spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is guiding me. He promises that if I am tired and weary and heavy laden to come to him he'll give me rest he promises i will never leave you nor forsake you he promises that if i practice his presence with rejoicing and thanksgiving that the peace of god will guard my heart he promises that when i mess up and i do many times if i confess my sin he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins like the promise is this promise is that he began a work he's going to complete it paul references that in philippians i want to count on those promises there's another thing that paul says he says in philippians 3 our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a savior from there the lord jesus christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body Paul knew that the Jesus who left promised to return. And so Paul didn't need to freak out or stress out with what was happening in the world. He, he wasn't disinterested. I don't think he was unconnected. 
But he didn't freak out. Like, oh no, I can't believe that emperor is now in charge or whatever. Because Jesus in John 14 promised that when he left, he's going to come back. He promised that he would make everything new. He promised there would be no more pain, no more suffering. I love the way Lucado in his book says this. Can death take our joy away? No, Jesus is greater than death. Can failure take our joy away? No, Jesus is greater than our sin. Can betrayal take our joy? No, Jesus will never betray us. Can disappointment? No, even though our plans may not work, he is working his plan. Can sickness take our joy? No, because God has promised whether on this side of the grave or the other side, he will heal us. I'm going to count on his promises. I'm going to count my blessings. I'm going to count on his promises. The God who's been faithful will be faithful. He keeps his word. And Paul says something fascinating in the book of 2 Corinthians. For no matter how many his promises that he's made, they are yes in Christ. The fulfillment there. And so through him, the amen is spoken to us by the glory of God. Count your blessings for sure. Count on his promises absolutely. But what Paul is saying is this, that if I just, oh man, this is what's going to be true and that's what I've been blessed with, I'm going to miss something if I don't bring them together, almost like a pair of glasses with two lenses. If I pop one of these lenses out, it's like things are going to be out of focus. You ever been to the eye doctor and like read that chart and like, well, pop one of your lenses out. If you really need your glasses, like I can't read it. I need both lenses. I need to put the glass, both lenses to read. And I think what Paul is saying is, when I put on the glasses with the lens of his blessings, with the lens of his promises, that what comes into clear focus on the eye chart is Jesus. That all of his blessings point to Jesus, that all of his promises are fulfilled in Jesus, that it is all about Jesus, which makes more fascinating what Paul says when he says, I learned the secret of being content. I've learned whatever the circumstances, what it is to be in need, have plenty. I've learned the secret in any and every situation. And here it is, whether I'm fed, hungry, plenty, or want, I can do all this. Not because of his blessings, not simply because of his promises. I can do all this through him. Because the glasses are on and the blessings and the promises, I see Jesus who gives me strength. Count your blessings, absolutely. Count on his promises for sure. But when you put on your counting glasses, you'll see him, the one Paul's talking about here. Jesus. And that's why, you ought to write this down somewhere, ultimately gratitude comes from the fact I can count on him. The one who's been faithful will be faithful. The one who I thank for the things in the past, I can thank in advance for the things in the future, and I can thank in the middle of my right now. And I can count on him. You know why? Because God isn't who he is because of what he does. Listen, he isn't who he is because of what he does. But God does what he does because of who he is. The God who has been faithful and is faithful will be faithful. God who's been loving and the God who will be loving is love. The God who's been just and the God who will be just, he is just and righteous. The God who's been present, the God who will be present, he is present right now in the middle of the circumstance. C.S. Lewis says this, I think it's fascinating. He noted that our tendency is to give thanks 
to God for what he's done, the blessings that he's bestowed upon us, namely the gift of salvation, which is awesome. We should definitely count our blessings, he says. But listen, but when we really get down to the root of what our thankfulness should spring from for the believer, it's not just from what God has given us. We should be thankful simply for who God is. Being thankful is one thing, Lewis says, but knowing who we're thanking leads us into a life saturated with thanksgiving and living with gratitude. Living a life of worship, gratitude, thanks, and fellowship with God, the one true God. So if you watched last week, you'll find this interesting. My engine light came back on this week. Yep, true. But I'm not in Louisiana. And uh, I didn't ignore it. And I didn't just hit the gas. But because I'm in Norton, I took it down the road, and there's two brothers, their names are Dana and Keith, that I know, and they work on my car. Um, they've been incredibly trustworthy. I've taken my car, cars there for some time now, and they've been wonderful. Uh, they promise that they will do whatever they can to uh, make sure my car runs the best that it can and the most affordable way that they can. They're honest and hardworking guys. And so they, they are where I took my car. The engine light's on. I called them and I dropped my car off because the engine light was on. Guess what I didn't do? Nor did they want me to do. I, I didn't stick around to make sure they were doing it right. <laughs> They would laugh if they heard this uh, because I wouldn't even know. I, I don't stick around. I drop it off and I leave it there. I leave there because, well, certainly they've been faithful and they've promised they're going to take care, but I've gotten to know these guys. They're hardworking. They're trustworthy. And so when the engine light's on, I take it and I leave it there. You see, I think that's what Paul might be saying. He might be saying that when you begin to count your blessings and you begin to count on his promises, you realize you can count on him. And then when you pray with thanksgiving, you realize that you can trust the one that you're leaving it with. I don't know what you got to leave with him today, but maybe the place for you to start is grab a gratitude journal, designate a wall, um, build something in the backyard that you and the kids and the wife and family, whatever, can. There's our gratitude tower. There's our gratitude tablecloth. There's our gratitude jar. There's our gratitude wall. Start a journal where every day, and you might be surprised because the more you count, the higher you go. And the higher you go, you might be surprised at the things that all of a sudden you are grateful for. Maybe you need to take what we're talking about here today is lean into some of the promises of God that you're like, is God still working? He promises he will, and so he is. Maybe you need to lean into the promises of God that you're not a citizen if you're a follower of Christ here, but you're a citizen in heaven. And that doesn't mean you're disconnected here and uninterested here. What it simply means is this. I don't need to freak out. I don't need anxiety to rule the day. But as a citizen of heaven, I can... Trust him that he promises he's coming back, that he's preparing a place for us, that he's going to make everything new, 
that he's going to wipe away every tear. All those things are promises in God's word. And all of a sudden it puts life into perspective. And the reason that those things put life into perspective is because when I put on my counting glasses, I see Jesus. And maybe the place to begin is to put on your counting glasses and look for Jesus. And when you pray, you realize there's the secret of gratitude. It's learning contentment. And the secret of living with gratitude is learning contentment, which means looking for Jesus in every circumstance. And so, God, I'm going to pray for my friends that are watching us. I don't know all the stories behind what's going on in their life, but we need calm and we need to look for Jesus no matter what the circumstances. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you so much that we can call you our Father. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the Holy Spirit, for the church. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come into these people's homes or, or their life uh, via technology. Thank you so much for the way you provide for us. Thank you so much for the empty grave. Thank you so much that Jesus not only took our place, but that he had victory over sin, death. And so, God, I thank you for the blessings that we have in Christ Jesus. And God, I thank you that you're a God who is always faithful, keeps your promises, and that all of your promises are yes and amen in Christ. And so we look for Jesus today. We follow Jesus. We long for Jesus. I love you, Lord. Thank you. I praise in Jesus' name. Amen.